Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. I cover all things food, from cooking to gardening to fabulous ingredients to junk food, health, sustainability, even policy. You might say I'm obsessed with everything about food. Food is the one substance that connects everything to everything else. And it connects us all. Not only can we not live without it, not only does it determine much of what goes on in the world, but we love it. Welcome to Food with Mark Bittman. We have two great guests today. I'll tell you about them in a second, so stay tuned for that. As always, you can reach us at 833-FOODPOD. That's 833-366-3763. Or our email, bitmanpod at gmail.com. That's B-I-T-T-M-A-N-P-O-D at gmail.com. We are also going to have a bonus podcast for you within the next few days, so stay tuned for that. Kerry Conan and I have released our bread book called Bitman Bread, and uh, we'll be talking about that with Kate Bitman in a few days, so be on the lookout for that. Today, however, we have Brian Terry and Rahana Bisseret Martinez. Brian Terry, of course, is a well-known cookbook author from Oakland, former chef, vegan, great recipe writer. His new book, Black Food, Stories, Art, and Recipes from Across the African Diaspora, is not only fabulous and has the cover of the year for sure, which Bryant and I talk about, but it's also the first book from a new publisher. And that publisher is Four Color Books, and the editor-in-chief of that publisher is none other than Brian Terry. So Bryant, as I said, is known for his veganism, his great recipes. Many of them are Afro-Asian or African-American or as in black food, food from the African diaspora. But he often puts vegetables on a pedestal. This book is more omnivorous, a different kind of triumph, a loving ode to black 
culinary ingenuity and culture in general. Now, one of the contributors to black food is Rahana Bisseret Martinez, who is perhaps best known for being a finalist on Top Chef Junior, who will soon be best known for being an incredibly smart, talented, joyful contribution to the world of food at just 17 years old. I got to talk to both Bryant and Rahana for today's episode, but separately, so please be sure to stay tuned after the first interview. They're both great. We are going to do two recipes from Brian Terry's Black Food today, and many of these recipes are written by different people. The book is kind of all over the place, a fabulous amalgam, so it's pretty hard to choose. But as usual, looking for something simple and doable and readable, and this looks gorgeous, Cocoa Orange Fish by Nicole Taylor. These are the ingredients for a rub. You're going to rub this onto two pounds of catfish fillets. I would imagine you could use any firm-fleshed white fish you want for this, but recipe calls for catfish fillets. And you're going to make a rub of two tablespoons of kosher salt, two teaspoons of benet seeds. You can substitute sesame seeds for those if you like. Quarter teaspoon of dried bird's eye chili flakes. You can use any chili flakes you like here. A tablespoon of unsweetened cocoa powder, two teaspoons of maple sugar, and you can use light brown sugar if you don't have that, and a half teaspoon of caraway seeds. So mix all of those rub ingredients, salt, bene seeds, chili flakes, cocoa powder, sugar, caraway, and then slice a pound of oranges, which is a couple of medium to large oranges, into 12 slices. Heat the oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit with the rack in the top position. Rinse the fish, pat it dry, Put the fish on a large sheet pan, sprinkle both sides with the rub, and then drizzle with five tablespoons of olive oil. And then top that all off with the orange slices. Put the sheet pan in the oven and roast until the catfish is moist and gently flakes. That is cooked through about eight minutes. If you're using thicker fish, the cooking time may be longer. And then serve. That sounds great to me. Great to talk with you, Brian. It's so nice of you to come on the show. Always a pleasure to catch up with you, Mark. Thanks for having me on. So Black Food, your fabulous and incredibly beautifully covered, I will say, new book. Amazing cover. I have to hear the story of that sometime. It's not only your new book, but it's the debut of Four Color Books, which is part of Penguin Random House. And it's your editor or it's your imprint or both? Both. I founded it and I'm also editor-in-chief, working with our lead editor, Kelly Snowden, who's editorial director at Tinsby Press. Awesome. Congratulations. Is there a story there? You want to tell me how that happened and what your vision is? I do. But, you know, can I just go back to, I'm so glad you mentioned the cover. And it's been really exciting hearing so many people comment about how much they love the cover. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, as you can see, it's a departure from what many of the cookbooks we're seeing these days have on them, which is, you know, either a food photograph or someone in the kitchen kind of with this contrived smile at a cutting board looking at the camera. Hey, hey, I've done those. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, trust me. So I was having a conversation recently about going down to my family and I vacationed in Southern California earlier in the summer. And we were at this bookstore in Calabasas over where Drake and Kanye live. And it was Barnes and Nobles. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a 
publisher now. I need to see the lay of the land, know what's going on. So let me go into Barnes and Noble and look at the cookbook section. And I have to say, it was pretty depressing. I know that there are brilliant independent bookstores that are curating interesting and exciting collections, but, you know, just seeing what most people interface with when they go to the the big corporate owned bookstores and there were just diet books, celebrity chefs, and pretty white women is kind of how I summarized (laughs) (laughs) what I saw that day. And I remember when my wife and I went to Hong Kong with her family about a decade ago. And when I would go into the bookstores, I would just be so moved, excited, just like really feeling like there's so much hope and potential for cookbooks because of the books coming out of the UK and Australia and Asia. I just feel like they're really pushing, you know, the edge and and trying to just present something new and exciting. And I, I just haven't felt that way with a lot of American cookbooks. So that being said, with the cover, the challenge that I um, gave our art director was, I want to cover about Black people and food with neither Black people nor food on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> he was really meditating on my connection to and referencing of both classic jazz Yep. It's very John Coltrane, the cover. I have to say, it's the first thing I thought. Yes. See, we did it. And and also hip hop and thinking about that period in hip hop graffiti writing where wild style was one of the predominant styles. When so just like that use of color and movement on the cover. So George McCallman did a brilliant job with our cover. And I feel like it really encapsulates the colorful, diverse, exciting content inside of the book. But Mark, I do want to just touch on a little bit, just kind of answering your question about how did this all come about? And the imprint had long been a vision of mine and my my literary agent, Daniel Svetkov, who you know, and we had talked about wanting to provide a platform for me to support other authors and publish their work. And, you know, I always say that this imprint is simply formalizing what I've been doing since I got into publishing. You know, that world was so, I didn't know anything about publishing and and I was lucky to have Francis Moore LePay and Anna LePay, my friend and co-author of our book, Grub, who just, they held my hand and walked me through everything, publishing and the process of writing books and just the internal logic of that whole world. And I've always just felt the need to pay it forward and make sure that I'm mentoring budding writers and authors and people who are interested in publishing, specifically BIPOC folks. So it's exciting to have resources now to actually put behind some of that support and help people realize their dreams of publishing. Why not talk about the book for a little bit? Because it's obviously, you know, we're talking about it as if it were a cookbook, as if you were doing a cookbook imprint, but it's bigger than a cookbook. It's more than a cookbook. Why don't you talk about how that came about and also describe it a little bit? Yeah, it's more than a cookbook. And I think it's important that people see this as a cookbook. Recipes are the the through line. And it's more than a cookbook. You know, Corsha Wilson, for her piece that she did, she did a profile in the New York Times about me. And I love that she said Black food is more akin to what you might see at an art exhibition at a museum. And, you know, the reality is, is that the foundation of this book comes from my residency at the Museum of the African Diaspora in San Francisco. And Back in 2015, Linda Harrison, our former executive director, approached me about us co-creating this chef and residency program in which I'd be doing everything from panel discussions with scholars and authors and chefs and activists to intimate conversations with authors. 
And so, you know, since we started that program, Mark, I mean, the first program that we did was the Black Women Food and Power panel that I put together. And we brought out folks, Tony Tipton Martin, Carolyn Randall Williams, Nicole Taylor, Psyche Williams Forsum, Gail Meyer. So, you know, we have this panel with these brilliant farmers, scholars, activists, poets, all talking about the historical role that Black women have played in the production, the distribution, the consumption of food and food knowledge, because a lot of them were scholars. And so I knew we had something. I knew we were onto something, Mark. And I expected that we'd have people from the wider Northern Cal region or even people coming up from L.A. But when I saw that people were coming in from Pacific Northwest, Seattle, Portland, I was like, huh, okay, this is cool. And then we had people who flew in from the East Coast, from New York, from New Jersey for a two-hour program. And that's when I knew that, you know, people were, pun intended, hungry for this type of programming. <laughs> and I had always, you know, thought about, well, how can we take this brilliant, magical program we're doing here at the museum and share it with the world? This was 2015. This is before we had, like, these infrastructures for doing, like, virtual programming and all this. It's kind of like it was stuck in time. If you were there, you were there. And if not, see you at the next one. And I just felt like, look, we have to document this. But it was always you know, whatever these unnecessary barriers I would put in place, like, you know, one day I'm going to do this when I have this many followers or this much social capital, whatever. I, you know, my mom talks about me blocking my blessings when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> when I think about the role that Black food, or I should say Four Color Books, my imprint, you know, one of the most powerful things I imagine us doing is modeling, modeling a different way that, you know, publishing could look, modeling a different relationship with this industry, with BIPOC creatives and process is equally important to outcome. And I feel like we really doubled down on that throughout the process of putting this book together. And one thing that I got over in 2020 was this embarrassment about my prior work because, you know, every new book I get, then all of a sudden the book before it, oh, it sucks. Oh my God, that book sucks. I don't want to look at that. Don't even bring that book around me anymore. And, you know, I felt this is whatever. We How one can kind of pick apart the work and, oh, I should have done this differently. I could have left that out or, or whatever critiques I had. And now the way that I think about my body of work, I'm very proud of everything that I've done. And are there flaws? Could have done some things differently, better? Yeah. Definitely. And I really just see it as me practicing in public, you know, and, and not being embarrassed about that. And, and I hope modeling that no one up here, no one's perfect. You see people in magazines and on TV shows and lecture halls, but we're all human beings trying to figure this out. And with the work, I feel like Black food is the crown jewel of my body of work. And every other book that I've done prepared me to curate this book. You know, Mark, you've seen my other books. So I've done this in terms of this melding of like music and art and culture and ideas and recipes. I've done it in all my books. This is the first time that I've gotten a lot of money to do it really well. And so, you know, I just feel like practice is important and what a way to go out. You know, do you know this is my last book? I'm retiring from cookbook writing after this. Well, that's what you say, but no, I did not know that. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hanging up my cleats after this one. And, you know, I really just, one, I've always said to myself, I want to go out on top. I'm not going to be one of those people who goes out when they're like, you know, having a, a drought. I'm going out at the top of my game. 
I mean, I don't know whether it's obvious or not, but you and I know each other, and also you're publicly a vegan. How did your veganism translate into this? There is meat in this book, so you didn't let your ideology get in the way of that. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. Full disclosure, there are animal products in <laughs> food. <laughs> Animals were harmed in the making of this of these recipes. Yeah. Yeah, slightly. But you know, here's the thing. It was an interesting moment because, you know, when I had to decide whether we would include animal products or not, it was about me understanding that I'm leveling up. I'm in a different role now. And so I'm not just Bryant the author, I'm Bryant the publisher, I'm Bryant the editor in chief, and I need to take off the hat of Brian, the author and person who's been committed to these issues around like plant-based eating, veganism, animal liberation since I was in high school. And in terms of the dishes that the different contributors offered, I didn't want to be overly prescriptive under different circumstances. Maybe chefs who don't necessarily, you know, plant-based cooking is in their wheelhouse. If we had more time, then maybe I could have pushed people to move beyond whatever their comfort in making plant-based foods are and just try, you know, experiment, you know, push, push the boundaries of your cooking practice so that you can offer something that would help people further imagine African diasporic food without meat and animal products being at the center. But, you know, given that we didn't have a lot of time and given what I think more important, I really wanted each contributor to tell a story that was true and authentic to them and their food history and food memories and connection to, you know, our food culture and, and our food ways. And so that's what I did. And I'm glad, and I did encourage people to consider offering a plant-based option and many of them did. And so the majority of the recipes in the book are vegetarian and vegan, and there are some that they have animals in them. And I hope people who have been amazing supporters because of the emphasis on vegan cooking that my work has had, I hope that they can uh, appreciate the other aspects of this book and not throw out the baby with the bathwater, as they say, because there's so much to sink one's teeth into in this book outside of the recipes. And even within the recipes, there are ample dishes for folks who don't mess with the animals. So give it a try. The, what's been fun for me is my wife and me really supporting our oldest daughter, Mila, who's 10 now, and raising her food IQ and helping her to learn the fundamentals of cooking. And she's been cooking a lot and you might find this interesting, Mark. So because I've been around people who have been pretty dogmatic around forcing their kids to be vegan because they're vegan. I've seen that backfire a lot. <laughs> and you're a parent and you know that sometimes when we are, we're too heavy handed, sometimes the kind of natural instinct with our kids is to rebel. And so I didn't want to create that situation. You know, my wife, she was vegan when vegetarian vegan, when we met, she got pregnant, she turned to a cave woman. And so... <laughs> You know, with our kids, they've been around me who makes and eats vegan and my wife who primarily does vegetarian vegan, but also eats sea animals and other animals, land animals. And so she has more of an omnivore leaning diet. But what I did was I was just like modeling. That's just the most powerful work, whether it's with my publishing imprint or being a parent. And so I just showed up in the most powerful way that I could, you know, being clear about my values, reading books that were age appropriate to our daughter since she was able to pay attention. And so two years ago, 
she just clicked into her commitment to being a militant vegan, actually. <laughs> so, so she is very articulate about not just the long-term positive health benefits that she imagines having this diet, but also the environmental and, you know, obviously the ethical reasons. She's been reading just voraciously anything she can get her hands on. Colleen Patrick Goudreau, who's the vegan writer's like heroine these days. Think about the double entendre of that because she she's reading her books. She's like going crazy. Anyway, that was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's cooking a lot. And we've really been supporting her in cooking. And so that's been fun just seeing like the next generation, if you will, kind of like being able to pass the baton on. We ask everybody what you had for dinner last night. So I'm asking you that, although I know you just got back from traveling, but what did you have for dinner the last time you cooked at home? Last night, I got a chance to have a meal prepared by one of my favorite chefs, Gregory Gourdet. Gregory Gourdet came to San Francisco and did this private dinner and invited me in. It was a lot of food celebrating the the local abundance of Northern California. So yeah, I got to say every aspect of it was just amazing. But Gregory presented this little individual pineapple upside down cake, and it was just divine. Great to talk with you and great to catch up. And I know this is going to be an awesome success, both the book and the imprint. So I'm really happy for you. Thank you, Mark. Really appreciate that. Good talking with you. I'll see you soon, I hope. All right. Take care. Take care, Brian. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more food in just a minute. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. I know that you just sold 
a cookbook called Flavorous, and you're publishing it with Brian Terry, who I talked with yesterday. He's an old friend of mine. Tell me a little bit about Flavorous. What's it going to be like? Yeah, so Flavorous, I really wanted to fill it with cooking techniques and like recipes from my experience living in the Bay Area with so many different like cuisines and cultures. And then also my experience cooking at home and then in professional kitchens. I've been stodging in restaurants since I was 14. So it's been a couple of years now. And I wanted to be able to share that with other people. So cool. You're 17 now, right? Yeah, I'm 17. What was your favorite stage? That's a hard one. I don't know if I could pick a favorite one, but I really loved staging at Chez Panisse by Alice Waters. They have really good family meal, like the best family meal. The best. Yeah, the best. So good. But it was really fun experience. Did you work upstairs or down? Downstairs. I lived in Berkeley for a year and a half, and I ate much more often upstairs, of course. But God, I loved going there. I only lived five blocks away or so, so I just walk over. And that was my favorite restaurant experience, was just having that as a kind of neighborhood restaurant. It was so cool. That seems so awesome. You have an essay in Black Food called How Black Intellect Informs the Future of Cooking Shows. Was that your idea? Was that Brian's? Can you tell me a little about how that happened? It's really great. Yeah, so it was my idea. I got a call from Bryant and he was like, well, if you have any ideas for Black food or any essays, and I told him a couple and he was like, okay, whichever one you want to work on. And that was the one that was really drawn to me because I feel like with like television, we often see like historic people who pioneered in that industry is like Julia Child and Jacques Pepin, who I grew up watching a lot when I was really young. And then recently I learned about Lena Richard, who had a cooking show, I think a few years before that. It's not on air anymore, but I was just thinking about how amazing that was and how it could have really impacted the food television industry, if we had people like Lena Richards all those years ago showcasing Black food and the techniques and how like groundbreaking that could be. How did this all start? I read somewhere that you started cooking with your mom when you were six, but how did you start? How did you get passionate about it? Yeah, so I did start cooking with my mom. And then after that, I would try and like tweak our family recipes and just like add extra spices or a different ingredient. I loved going to the farmer's market. And if there was a vegetable or a new fruit or something that I hadn't seen before, I would try and cook something with it and make something new. And so I think being able to experiment with different dishes really made me excited about food. But then also I loved watching cooking shows and reading cookbooks. I would like read books from the front to the back cover, which I think kind of inspired me to write a cookbook. No one can answer this question. So you're going to find it. It's not answerable. Do you think you were born to this or do you think something happened? I mean, we all ask ourselves those kinds of questions and you don't know, but how do you feel about that? Yeah, that is a hard question. I don't know. I feel like I was, I always loved food and I loved eating new things. I don't know if I was born with things, but I do think that people have like an energy that pulls them to certain like professions or just like hobbies. And I think as long as we are able to express that, we can kind of know more about ourselves. And so personally, I think I was really privileged to be able to like express my love for food in this way. And I don't know if it was something I was born with or something that I just was able to kind of go to and learn more about. 
That's a beautiful answer. Thank you. Who's cooking in your house now? Well, I love to cook still. My mom is an amazing cook. And I also have a five-year-old brother who has started cooking with me. So he loves to like crack eggs and stir things. And he's not a big fan of like heat sources yet. So we're working on a cutting board. (laughs) (laughs) What's the food like? What kind of stuff do you cook? Yeah, well, I like to cook. Well, I'm recipe testing for my book right now. So I've been cooking a lot of different things. But one of my favorite things that I've made so far is this oolong tea flan. It has brown sugar caramel at the bottom. And the special part about it is instead of carrying like a big tray into the oven, it's actually steamed on the stovetop on a steamer basket. So it's a little bit easier to handle than like trying to carry a huge tray of boiling water into your oven and then taking it out, which is something that I always found nerve wracking. So I kind of wanted to find a solution to that. That's really smart. I always found that nerve wracking also. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. This goes back to the sort of developing a love of food. And it is, what do you think that we, I mean, those of us who work in food in the food community can do to foster a love of cooking and of food, but good food and young people and especially young people of color? Yeah, I think being able to put it out there and be accessible to young people, students, children of color. I love to talk at schools and do demos. And, you know, I think a connection to food is something that every human has. And I think being able to share that with other people, especially if you're like like a professional in the industry, I feel like that's super inspiring for other people to look at and be like, wow, I could do that. And yeah, I think being able to share those recipes or do a demo, or if you have a children's menu at your restaurant, kind of switch it up from the normal like mac and cheese and grilled cheese type thing. But yeah, Being able to be in your community and influence the children and the people growing up in your community, I think, is very important. Thank you for that. Last question. What did you have for dinner last night? Last night, I had this really good burrito and I had like, I normally don't like the like wet burritos with the like salsa on top, but it had salsa verde on top. And then it was carne asada and then rice and beans. And it was very good. I had to use like a fork and knife, which is something I normally don't do for burritos. Mm-hmm. It was really good. And I really liked it. Where was that? I forgot the name, but I'm in San Diego right now. So I've been able to go to some really yummy restaurants and then always... I have horchata that I like to order. It's like my number one drink. I could drink some horchata right now. It's my favorite. Well, thank you so much for joining. It was really great. I'm really impressed by you. Now I'm not at all surprised at your success. Keep it up. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Second recipe from Bryant Terry's Black Food is sweet potato grits by Kia Damon. I am making these tonight, I'm telling you. So you start with a one-pound sweet potato or two smaller ones, three cups of good chicken stock, one and a half cups of whole milk, a cup of white stone ground grits, four tablespoons of butter, salt to taste, and pepper to taste. Heat the oven to 400 degrees, and then once the oven's hot, wrap the sweet potato in tinfoil, put it on the middle rack, and cook for at least 40 minutes until the sweet potato is completely soft and mushy to the touch. Set that aside to cool. So obviously you can do that well in advance. And then in a large pot, heat the stock and the milk until it begins 
begins to simmer. Put the grits in a medium bowl and cover with cool water. Use your hands to stir around the grits so the chaff separates and rises to the top and then skim that off. Then strain the grits through a fine mesh strainer. Repeat the process two more times until no more chaff comes to the top and then drain and discard the water finally. Stir the grits into the milk and stock mixture, and I would say whisk the grits into the milk and stock mixture. Use a whisk to make sure that you eliminate any clumping. It'll look like too much liquid at first, but the grits will expand into creamy goodness. That is true. Cook the grits, whisking them until they begin to thicken. This will take about 30 minutes, and then they should be thick and creamy. Still have a little chew, not too soft. Remove the skin from the sweet potato, and then place the flesh in a bowl. You should have about two cups. And Kia says that, I find that an immersion blender for this next part works well. Add the sweet potato to the grits, and use the immersion blender to incorporate it all. The blender also yields creamier grits because it breaks up the grains a little bit further. Mix in the butter. Remember, you've got four tablespoons of butter there and season with salt and pepper. That really sounds great. I'd like to hear from you about that one. That does it for today. I was lucky enough to have two of the most important people in the new guard of publishing and food. Bryant is an old friend and a good one. Rahana is a new one, and I look forward to talking with her again. As I said at the beginning, she is a gas, and so it's going to be fun to watch her ascendance. You can follow each of them on Instagram, at Rahana Bisseret Martinez. That's at R-A-H-A-N-N-A dot Bisseret is B-I-S-S-E-R-E-T. Dot Martinez and Bryant is at Bryant Terry. That's with two T's. B R Y A N T T E R R Y. Black food is available now, and if you see it, you won't miss it because, as I said, the cover is stunning. Thanks, and remember to look out for our special bread podcast coming soon, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.